The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to this week's episode of Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know, but doesn't have time to tell you. If you're new to us, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From the latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. How's it going, Lindsay? Great. Have a good topic today, I think. Yeah, something that affects um, mostly women as we get older in age, especially uh, postmenopausal, but certainly men are affected as well. Yeah, so we're talking about osteoporosis, and in addition to doing a general overview of osteoporosis, I think we can hopefully do a little bit of myth-busting as well, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions out there about osteoporosis and its treatment. Definitely. All right, well, so let's go ahead and define what osteoporosis is. So osteoporosis is defined by bone mineral density, which is provided by a bone density scan or a DEXA scan. And a number, a normal bone density um, is what has been found by scanning normal healthy adults and what their bone mineral density is. And then somebody who is 2.5 standard deviations below that number would be considered um, osteoporotic or to have osteoporosis. And so that's a T-score on a DEXA scan. We'd say your T-score is less than 2.5. Minus 2.5. Right, right. Yep. Less than minus 2.5. Right. right. And so, of course, as you probably know, that increases the risk of fracture. And that's the big worry with osteoporosis is that as the bone mineral density decreases, the risk of fracture goes up. And you may think of a fracture as not a big deal. But on the other hand, um, fractures can be life-altering, especially hip fractures where we see um, really... As people get older, if they fracture a hip, it's very hard to get back to their previous level of function. Um, They may lose independence. Going through a hip fracture and surgery to treat a hip fracture can cause pneumonia and other things that lead to deconditioning. And there's actually a fairly high 30-day mortality rate with hip fractures. So this is what we worry about. 30% mortality rate in the year following a hip fracture in an older adult. Right. So these are the things that we worry about with osteoporosis and why it's important to talk about. And osteoporosis... I would say it's the number one cause of change to a higher level of care. So uh, when you're independent in your 70s and 80s, it's the number one cause of becoming somebody who becomes dependent, requiring an assisted living facility or a nursing home care. Right. And it affects 10 million adults in the United States, usually older adults, um, and 43 million adults in the U.S. have bone density that's below normal but not yet osteoporosis. So certainly a large part of our population is affected by this, and it's, again, a very important thing to treat in order to avoid these complications. Right, and I think you touched on the fact that there's normal bone density, and then there's the time in between normal and osteoporosis, that we term osteopenia. And there's a way to determine risk for fracture in the osteopenic state as well, and we'll talk about that later, the FRAC score. Right, yep. Um, 
And right, so the way we monitor this is with DEXA scanning, as Lindsay mentioned. Um, and the DEXA scan is kind of like an x-ray where they measure specifically bone density and then give you an age-matched control or compare you to an age-matched control, which results in the T-score, which is the number that we look at as your physicians to decide, are you in the osteopenia range, are you in the normal range, or do you have osteoporosis? And we generally say that women over the age of 65 should be screened for osteoporosis. And then men um, over the age 75, and then it would be younger than that if you have risk factors. So risk factors for osteoporosis include um, advanced age, of course, so over 65, if you've had a previous fracture, especially a fracture that was caused by not a lot of trauma, so you didn't have a major fall or a major injury, but you broke your wrist or you broke something else. Uh, generally thinner frame are mm -hmm. at higher risk of osteoporotic fracture. Smokers, um, excess alcohol uh, intake puts you at higher risk. And then different medications. Um, if you've been on um, steroids or prednisone for long term, that puts you at increased risk. Um, as well as some other medications right. that have uh, to do with absorption of vitamin D. Yep. Like the anti-seizure medications would be a good example of that. Right. And then race and ethnicity can also be factors. Caucasian adults are known to have a higher risk of fracture with osteoporosis compared to black, Hispanic, or Asian adults. So something else to be aware of. And if you have a strong family, family history, history, that's also a risk right. factor. Yep. So if you are somebody who's younger than 65 but have multiple risk factors, it would be worthwhile to talk to your physician about whether or not you should be screened. Right, younger than the age of 65 or 70. Right. So let's talk about signs and symptoms of osteoporosis. I think there's a common misconception that low bone density causes pain in the joints or in other places. What do you think, Lindsay? I would say, yeah, there's really no symptom. It's kind of a silent thing that you do not know is happening um, until you fracture. Right. And I think that the other misconception is that people, that, that older adults fall down and break their hip. And if they have osteoporosis, generally what happens is their hip breaks and that causes them to fall. Right. So preventing falls isn't necessarily going to prevent an osteoporotic fracture. Right. The the one maybe silent symptom that we sometimes see is loss of height, right. where people are having gradual compression fractures in their spine that are not causing significant pain, but do lead to maybe more hunching and loss of height. And that can happen without fractures, but certainly if you're having some silent fractures, we see that as well. Right, and we call that kyphosis when you have the, the rounded shoulders of an older adult, and, and often that is from the compression fractures in the spine that lead to that deformity. Right, and for many people, those are painful. You might have a single event where you know you got a compression fracture of your spine and it's quite painful and you go into the hospital for treatment, but other times it is not terribly painful and it can just kind of happen on a gradual basis over time without necessarily an obvious event um, leading to it. So we talked some about kind of risk factors. I would say the biggest thing, um, and it's more common in women, 
osteoporosis. And the biggest trigger is um, when you go through menopause and, and lose the estrogen, which helps you maintain your bone mass. And so that kind of see the biggest decline in bone density the five years um, postmenopausal. Right. And um, as we've, I think, said in previous episodes, menopause generally happens around age 50. Estrogen can be stored in fat and is gradually released beyond that time. And usually by the time women are 65, that estrogen is pretty much out of the system. And that's why we, you know, we could start screening right at age 55 for bone density. Um, but in general, that's not terribly high yield. And so we give it a few years and see what's happening at that point. So what are some things um, we all can do to help prevent osteoporosis? Yeah, so I think there are a few things. Um, Exercise, strengthening muscles. Muscles pull on the bone and trigger bone growth by stimulating the bones. And so the more you can do strengthening of the core, of the muscles that support the hips, um, with either a little bit of impact activity or weight training or just core training, all of those things can lead to increased bone density. Right, and I think it's important to um, get adequate calcium. And mm-hmm. I always say it's best to get the calcium in your diet and not to rely on calcium supplementation. So I think um, I generally say three to four servings of dairy or high calcium containing foods would get you the appropriate amount. So that would be uh, a serving would be a glass of milk, a half a cup of cottage cheese or yogurt, an ounce of cheese. Uh, half a cup of dark leafy greens or broccoli. Um, so those are things that contain good calcium. And so three to four servings on average a day is plenty. If there's no way you can do that, then that's when I say a calcium supplement might be necessary. And your aim is to get 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams of calcium right, daily. Yeah. The trouble with the supplements is that they're not absorbed in the same way that food is absorbed. And a huge calcium load like what occurs in supplements Um, then goes in the blood and is filtered through the kidneys, and that can lead to kidney stones. It can also deposit in other places where we don't need it. So again, as Lindsay said, the the ideal way to get that calcium is through the diet. And the other important um, thing we need for for healthy bones is vitamin D. And so um, our main source of vitamin D is sunlight. Uh, If you live where we live in the north, where we don't get a lot of sun except for in three summer months, then you probably need to be taking a vitamin D supplement. And what dose do you recommend for your patients, Lindsay? Where we live, I do 2,000 international units daily. Um, I think if you live closer to the equator, you certainly maybe just need 800 Mm -hmm, international mm -hmm. units daily. Yeah, I think I've decreased the amount that I recommend over the past few years just because of studies that we've seen. Um, But I think somewhere in that 800 to 2,000 units a day, um, and again, I don't necessarily tell my patients to do that year-round, but certainly during winter months is a beneficial thing to do. And there's verdict is still out, but I think there's some recent evidence that there's some vitamin K has a lot to do with, um, with osteoporosis and how we absorb things. So the verdict's out on that one, but um, we're probably, a lot of us, deficient in vitamin K, and we'll, we'll look forward to and update you as if anything comes uh, from that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what about 
treatment when people are diagnosed with osteoporosis or even have osteopenia, but we think their clinician thinks they have a high risk of fracture, when should treatment be started and what, what should we start with? I think the latest recommendations are to start treatment in the osteopenic stage if there's a high FRAX score. So FRAX uh, is a fracture risk that is calculated based on age and um, race and, uh, let's see, blood pressure history, I think is in it, medication history, smoking history, family history of osteoporosis. And the DEXA score. And the DEXA score. And yeah. it comes up with a risk. And, and it's a 10-year risk. So risk over the next 10 years of either a hip fracture or a major osteoporotic or general fracture. So we get two numbers in that score. And it's recommended at this point in time that if your 10-year risk for hip fracture is greater than 3% or all major fracture is greater than 20%, then we should treat with a bisphosphonate. Right. Is a start starting medication. And so bisphosphonates are medications like Fosamax, uh, Boniva, Actinil, Reclast would be a bisphosphonate. Right, yeah. And the challenge here is that I think many people come in and have heard negative things about bisphosphonates. And um, certainly there are some serious potential side effects that we need to be careful about. But overall, in studies, the benefits of these medications clearly does outweigh the risk of these medications. And we can go into more detail here about that. I think this is one of the many cases where media has overtaken actual science with poor information to, to a huge public. Uh, and that just gets um, potentiated as people talk. And so um, if you really look at the data... Doctors only want to do what is good. We take an oath to do no no harm. And we only want to do what is good and protect you. And so we look at all the data that comes in from all the studies. And that's what we base recommendations come from. And there is definitely data that benefits of taking these medications if you are at high risk for fracture outweigh the risks of um, you know, the big things people worry about are osteonecrosis of the jaw. And I don't, do you have any? I do, yeah. So that that is, excuse me, that is bone breakdown of the jaw. Um, this is very rare. So there were a few uh, reports, case reports of this. Um, and in studies, it looks like the numbers are about 0.01 to 0.03. So that's less than 1 in 10,000. Very small numbers. People taking bisphosphonates could potentially have this occur. And generally, it was in people who were taking these medications for a different purpose. It's used right. for treatment of cancers and in very different doses. Right. And so the times that this was seen were was in a different situation generally. Right. So when I talk with my sister who is a dentist, um, she she really does not see this. She says she just doesn't see it. And so it's although it is a big, bad complication, it is extremely rare and usually not a reason not to take the medication. And I've been in practice I graduated medical school in 2004, and I've never seen osteonecrosis of the jaw. I don't know. Have you? I have seen a case, but it was not related to bisphosphonate therapy. Yeah. And osteonecrosis is not jaw pain. Right. 
I have people say, I've had jaw pain. I can't have that medicine. No, that's not what osteonecrosis of the jaw is. It's an actual breakdown of the bone, which, yes, is something you do not want to have, but is not likely to happen from therapy from a bisphosphonate. Right. At the doses that we're prescribing for treatment of osteoporosis, the risk is extremely low. And again, the risk of hip fracture or other osteoporotic fracture is so high that it the risk of fracture far outweighs the risk of this complication. And a newer complication that's also been concerning out in the media is fragility fractures, which are fractures because of demineralization from medications like bisphosphonate. And I think when we used to start people on these medications, we started them and you kind of were on them forever. And we've learned a lot in the last 10, 15 years. And now we we do a lot of different prescribing. So certainly, um, I think the risk of that is a lot less than, than in the past as well, simply because we have learned from bad outcomes in the past, I guess. Yeah, and I would say the standard now is when we start treatment, we treat for about five years, depending on how people are tolerating the medication or other changes that are, are happening in their lives. But we treat for about five years and then stop the medication and reevaluate the bone density and kind of see where things are at. And at that point, we can either restart treatment if needed, or we can wait a few more years and then check it again. And so we give the body some time to do its own bone building in between being on the medication and kind of what we call a drug holiday. And that can really help lower the chances of those fragility fractures. Yeah, and I think these medications, when taken orally, are very interesting. or They come with a complicated um, instructions on how to take them. And so it's, you know, say it's a once-weekly medicine in general. There's some that are less frequent than that, but you have to take it with a full glass of water and before other medications or food and remain upright for 30 minutes. Something like that is the instruction. And the reason for that is because... Um, if you reflux this from your stomach back into your esophagus, it can burn the, esoph- uh, the esophagus. Right. The pills themselves are somewhat irritating and possibly corrosive if they sit in the esophagus and don't get to the stomach. So that's the rationale for the way we take we administer the medication. Um, if not taken correctly, there is a fairly high risk of, you know, esophageal ulcers or erosions very rare risk of uh, esophageal perforation or a hole in the esophagus. And again, that's extremely rare. I think as long as people follow the instructions, we don't generally have problems. The one caveat I make for my patients is I say, if you have trouble swallowing, if the pill doesn't seem like it's going down or medications are getting stuck, then I need to know so that we could switch from an oral pill to either the IV or there's an injection that we can use too. And I think if you're someone who has a history of ulcers or really uh, poorly controlled acid reflux or uh, esophageal reflux disease, then this probably isn't the route that you'd want to go. And there's other options for you, such as shots or uh, IV infusions. Right. Yep. So that's one more side effect that is not um, uncommon, but can be minimized and avoided just by the way we administer the medication. bisphosphonates, which are the most common and the first-line treatment for osteoporosis, um, I would. What do you What do you use next, Lindsay? 
So I would say if if someone cannot tolerate an oral bisphosphonate uh, for any reason, I generally actually go to the IV reclast infusion. Or mm-hmm. if they've so-called failed um, their oral, then I would go to IV reclast, which is a bisphosphonate, mm-hmm. um, but it bypasses the gut and the intestines and, and oral absorption, and it's given through an IV. Which, and that's once a year, so the frequency right. is not high, and it's actually quite easy to do and generally well-tolerated. And, um, you know, the the side effects of that are any infusion side effects, so you can get irritation at the infusion site. Um, probably about 15% of people will have a day or two where they get kind of bone aches and pains and a low feb- fever, um, low-grade fever, so feel like you maybe have a little bit of the flu, so fever and body aches, but that's, that's short-lived for a couple of days, and you can usually, um, you know, treat that with some Tylenol or something to control those symptoms. Um, if somebody has kidney failure, or not kidney failure, but decreased kidney function, then you can't, at some point, if it's bad enough, you can't get the oral bisphosphonates or the IV bisphosphonate, then that's when I go to a medication called Prolia. Right, yep, and that works in a similar way to the bisphosphonates. They all um, reduce the bone breakdown that happens by cells called osteoclasts in our body. They just do it in slightly different ways, but Prolia works Mm -hmm. similarly to a bisphosphonate to inhibit those osteoclast cells so that they slow down the way that they break down bone. And so it has similar side effects. Um, the biggest thing is you can be you can have low calcium after an injection. So you need to make sure you have good calcium um, numbers before getting it. And they actually increase the risk of urinary tract infections, um, which I've only had one person uh, in my years of treatment have a problem yeah. with that. So I don't. It's not. A regular thing. Yeah, and that one is just an injection given twice a year or every six months, so pretty easy to do as well. The problem with that one that we just found is once once you start it and it shows really good improvement in both very impressive improvement in bone density after you start it, but if you stop it and don't do anything else, then you'll revert back to your old bone density very quickly as well. So you either have to continue it indefinitely or switch to a bisphosphonate to protect the bone after. So that's a downside. Yeah, and then there's some less common treatments that I would say I don't use very often at all. Um, Things such as Forteo. um, Those have been used in the past, but I don't know. What do you think about those, Lindsay? Well, I think if for severe osteoporosis or osteoporosis that has failed... um, meaning you still get a fracture despite good good treat, otherwise treatment, um, then I think you deserve um, to be referred to an endocrinologist mm-hmm. who is a specialist in osteoporosis, and they would likely help manage the treatment with uh, teriparatide. Right, yep. And um, I would say, you know, sometimes we've heard from people that that one is safer if you've had a hip fracture rather than bisphosphonates in terms of healing the fracture. Studies have not shown that. And again, bisphosphonates are first-line therapy unless there's a reason not to use them. And there's no need to delay starting them after a hip fracture. In fact, where I trained, 
um, for my residency and fellowship, we would give a reclassed infusion prior to discharge from a hip fracture so that you were covered that year following and that it caused no problem with healing of your hip fracture. Right. So definitely good if there is a fracture to get started on treatment very quickly. And, you know, otherwise, if your clinician recommends treatment because of very low bone density or a quick decline in your bone density, um, then it's a good idea to, to start hopefully with bisphosphonate therapy. I think we covered most things. Yeah, and I I would say, you know, again, I hear a lot of misperceptions and the media kind of gives these treatments a bad reputation. So if you have questions or specific concerns, definitely send us an email because hopefully we can address those with actual research that's available and give you a good answer for your concerns. Again, the the benefit of treatment far outweighs the potential side effects. And we, we are aware of what the side effects are and what to watch for. So that makes treatment safer, too. And oftentimes when we're in our 60s, we don't think about our life in our 80s, but um, it's well worth treating this in your 60s to prevent requiring assistance and living, um, requiring assistance in assisted living or a nursing home in your 80s. Absolutely. I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't hesitate to take these medications myself if I find out that I have osteoporosis. Yes. One day. Yep. Agreed. And again, do the other, the lifestyle modifications too. The regular exercise, strengthening, some impact activities to help stimulate that bone growth too. So Lindsay, do we have a health pearl for this week? Yeah, I happened to watch um, Alton's Brown new show last night. uh, And he did a chia seed chocolate pudding, breakfast pudding, he called it. And so we'll put that up. It looks really good. And the ancient grain of chia um, is good not only for for keeping you um, from being hungry for a longer period of time. It has a lot of good properties, protein. Omegas. Yes, Mm omega-3s. So Mm -hmm. lots of good antioxidants and... Um, cholesterol lowering mm-hmm. properties yeah. and and keeps you feeling full longer. So mm-hmm. we'll put that up. It looks good. I haven't tried it yet, but I plan on making it actually today. Yeah. And <laughs> for breakfast I, later this week. We posted a similar one on our nutrition, the week week long recipes. And this is, it wasn't cocoa. So I'll be curious to try this one too. But I would say the other one is pretty darn good too. So enjoy it. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening this week. Again, if you have questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, you can email us at mail at everythingdoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at E-V-E-R-Y-T-H-I-N-G-D-O-C dot C-O-M. You can also um, subscribe and tell your friends and rate us on both um, Google Play or Apple Podcast or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, and again, we'd love your participation and comments. We are trying to create a health community and we're Happy to not only um, answer questions, but we love your input as well. So have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.